0: Welcome to Antimatterpod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Artica and Liz. Today we're discussing Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2, Episode 2, Ad Astra Per Aspera. Why did I get the Latin? Why did they do this to me?
1: I was just thinking, you got it both times because of the way we do
0: things. Yeah. Oh, well. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> so I realized that I'm kind of going to struggle with this because we have screeners. So we've seen this episode a week before <laughs> everyone else, and we're recording before the rest of the world has seen it. And so much of my approach to this podcast is I saw someone somewhere on the Internet being wrong, and now I need to talk at length about the correct opinion. Oh, no. We're rocking a boat. <laughs> oh no what if my opinion turns out to be wrong
1: it's good it's good we're expanding yeah we're growing
0: as a podcast Mm. i definitely feel like paramount mm, i was going to say loves us and wants us to be happy they absolutely don't but they are vaguely aware at some level of our existence (laughs) (laughs) that's right Mm. (laughs)
1: We've been doing this for a few years now. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have, we have something to say. Yes. And it may not always <laughs> be cogent. Mm. It may not always be compelling, but it's something.
0: We are here and we have small opinions. And also there's a helicopter like flying around my house. So sorry.
1: I spent the whole day at an air museum. Oh, God. And I took a lot of pictures mm-hmm. that, if you know, when I have time about six months from now, <laughs> I will make an Instagram Reel that is called Star Trek at the Air Museum. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what I spend my time doing.
0: No, no, I love that. I really enjoyed this episode. I would give it an A-. minus.
1: This episode blew me away. Yeah. In terms of expectations Mm. we have discussed how we were worried that una's trial and una's plot
0: Mm. and
1: the whole fact of what's happened to una was going to have nothing to do with her yes it was going to be a lot of grandstanding on the part of various probably men probably white men Mm and it was all it was going to be all about pike and it was going to be all about what the rest of the crew does for her and not about the dilemma mm. of her life
0: i was particularly concerned given how rebecca romaine was sort of sidelined last season that this would be them writing una off the series and we kind of got the opposite of all of that this was very mm-hmm. much an una story it was not centering white men despite the ongoing presence of Captain Pike and I definitely have issues and part of those issues is simply the allegory problem once again but I thought it was a very sincere episode and I felt like it did a better job of Star Trek as legal drama than previous attempts Mm mm-hmm
1: Again, I was at at this premiere in New York with a bunch of fans. And watching this particular episode with Star Trek fans, specifically (laughs) New York Star Trek fans, was great. (laughs) Because they were rowdy, but in, like, super progressive, yay-law ways. (laughs) It was amazing. And so it was a delight. The character of Nira was beloved by all good but one of the funny things was as we were leaving the theater i overheard someone saying that this episode was leaning into the cbs milieu of Mm. legal dramas that that's something that they do well yes outside of star trek cbs is known for legal dramas and i was like that's so funny that's Mm. so true Mm. Like that's accurate. Fact. Uh, that was fun for me as someone who watches a lot of CBS legal dramas. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, and as someone who has long lobbied for a Star Trek Jag spin-off.
1: I want Star Trek Jag so badly.
0: Mm.
1: People were also, of course, comparing it to Measure of a Man or the Drumhead. And it was a really like well put together. I think sincere is the right word, because mm. it's not perfect. And it's not, but it's, it's trying really hard Mm. and it's, it believes in itself and it believes in that thing to say, like, like I was saying about us, that this episode had something to say and it was going to say it and it was going to say it loudly.
0: Yes. And I really like that we have an actual civil rights lawyer in Star Trek because you look at the measure of a man and Gene Roddenberry didn't want that episode to go ahead because he didn't think there would be lawyers in his utopian future. And I'm like, mate, no. But here, it's not just a contrived situation where Spock has to prosecute Una. It's an actual JAG office and an actual civil rights lawyer because building a utopia is hard work and it's often Mm -hmm. incremental. And I actually feel like this episode understood that.
1: Yes, that was different from other legal dramas of of Mm. Star Trek. I think you're completely correct in that assessment that both, you know, obviously we have seen Starfleet jag people before, so they do exist.
0: Philip Lovar, my beloved.
1: But bringing in the outsider, mm. bringing in someone who is not Starfleet, who is willing to call Starfleet on their nonsense. Mm. I mean, I loved when Una was meeting with Battelle and her court appointed lawyer mm. and he, you know he was like, "Let's do a sidebar." And she was like, it, it, "It's useless to do a sidebar mm. with you because you are on their side.
0: Hey, yes, you
1: work yes. for her. So there's no way that you are going to defend me mm. in the way that I want to be defended. Of, of course that's your job. However, yeah,
0: full respect to Starfleet, but the duty defense lawyer cannot be working for the office of the prosecutor. Come on, guys. Get it together. (laughs) I find legal dramas very challenging to watch because I work in the legal industry. So there were definitely moments where I was like, but fortunately, it's American. Obviously, I cannot watch Australian legal dramas and I struggle with British, but you guys are basically aliens anyway.
1: (laughs) I am not a lawyer. I don't work with lawyers. And so I don't have that problem. I'm really lucky that they don't make any television series about (laughs) academia so i never have this problem i don't have to worry about that
0: they don't make series about academia yet i think
1: they're gonna do it for me oh with starfleet starfleet academy is coming oh yeah i can can be the expert picking apart starfleet academy that's kind of exciting actually
0: yeah i just want to say that i love the legal assistant slash receptionist that pike sees at the beginning but I work for a fairly high-profile lawyer and one of my jobs is to keep people away from him and to stop people like Pike coming in and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. manipulating their way to see my boss. And so I think when the guy collapses because he's out of oxygen, you call an ambulance and you give first aid. You don't clear your boss's schedule. I'm just saying. You don't
1: call your boss. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I have notes.
1: We weren't equipped for human...
0: Mm. Mmm. They don't have
1: human hospitals in illyria
0: land more importantly <laughs> her costume was great
1: the costumes continue to be excellent mm. everything that nira wore was great she deserves something
0: mm. off of, like,
1: like maybe not a full spin-off but she can get one of those movies or she can get a novel like let's have mm. more of nira please
0: i would love her to become a recurring character in both her legal capacity and as una's friend
1: yeah, you know, it would be great if we got to see some of the Illyrian trials with mm. her. Like, the, you know, at the end, Una's like, I'm sorry that we didn't change the law and make, you know, your other cases easier. And I would love for her to call on Una, mm. Ike, La'an, like all of them to help out with those other cases. I think that would be.
0: Yes. So let's talk about Neera properly because I love her. I think she's a great character. But there were a couple of scenes, and specifically her cross-examination of Admiral April, where I felt like the writing took her into basically two stereotypes. And one is the very toxic, angry black woman. And the other is the less offensive, this activist just doesn't know when to stop. She's so busy fighting for her cause that she's forgotten her client.
1: Yeah, it was interesting... Through the rest of the trial, she seemed to have the upper hand, Mm. even when they thought they did, but in that interaction with April, she seemed unsure or imbalanced. Maybe it was like she was still trying to get her footing in the Starfleet, you know, system.
0: She clearly had a strategy, but it felt like the writers were... They recognized that there are valid criticisms to be made of Starfleet, but they couldn't imagine anyone making them in a reasonable way.
1: That might be it. This is our utopia, and so we can coke at it, but we can't topple it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And this is a whole episode about how the Federation is absolutely not a utopia for everyone.
1: I mean, honestly, I knew that it was going to end with Una back. Like, of As the episode progressed, it was like, okay, this, there's only one way that this episode mm. ends. However, it would be almost a stronger story if they lost, (laughs) 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 if Starfleet, that little panel of judges, Mm. or even if it was like not unanimous or, or it was, I I liked the way it ended Mm. and I think it was the correct choice. I'm not saying it should have been different. It's just interesting to think of if you really want to make the point that Starfleet is imperfect. Mm. They did it a little by having it be a workaround.
0: Yeah, making it a question of asylum rather than civil rights.
1: That gives Starfleet an out.
0: Yeah, but Starfleet definitely doesn't come off looking in any way heroic.
1: No. And those individual... Judges and the bad Vulcan lawyer <laughs> all came off as really like they'd forgotten why they got into law in the first place. That, yeah, they were just going through, you know, they were looking to punish her
0: mm. before
1: they were listening to her story. Yeah, that they'd already made up their minds at the beginning, and what Nira did was talk them out of it. Or, like I said, Mm. give them an out to to allow it to happen. And, I mean, Bad Vulcan really wanted Christopher Pike. What's his deal?
0: I hope we return to him because I do have questions.
1: (laughs) I mean, he's Sarek's friend, so... Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Friend is a strong, too strong a word, but...
0: Sarek's, yes, Sarek's colleague... It's frustrating that this doesn't end with a great big victory for civil rights, but at the same time, I do think that's realistic. Advances in this field are often very incremental and it's one step forward and two steps back before you finally get the case that goes to the Supreme Court or the High Court. I hope that we keep revisiting this theme through Strange New mm-hmm. Worlds. And I also thought it was interesting that genetic manipulation in this instance is framed as a civil right and an allegory for all sorts of things. Whereas for us, for people, eugenics is depriving people of their civil rights. It's pushing people of a, a preferred group to have children and pushing people who are undesirable, well, sterilizing them in many cases. I think Battelle handles that with some nuance, but I would like the franchise to dig a little more into the differences between the human history of eugenics versus how an alien species might use genetic augmentation
1: right i think that's the actual real you have here later on where crt comes up Mm. (laughs) and i think it's related that starfleet just wants to ban eugenics and be like that's bad and we're never doing it Mm. again. Uh, Ban genetic manipulation because in their mind, it ultimately leads to eugenics. Like it's just, it's the same thing. It's the same thing, so we're gonna ban it and we're not gonna talk about it and we're not gonna investigate it and that makes us moral and good. And then they're gonna go and put that on all of the other cultures and say, you guys have to follow our rules and Mm -hmm. we don't care what your culture is and we don't care because we know genetic manipulation leads immediately to eugenics like Mm. that's the only way they can possibly go and they don't interrogate that maybe Mm. when humans went from genetic manipulation to eugenics that was a human problem yeah yeah (laughs) maybe we need to figure out why we did that Mm. and talk about that instead of just saying no it's Mm. just that And we're not going to talk about it because we've learned, we've learned and we're not, we're not eugenicists anymore. So we don't have to think about that anymore. (laughs) So that's what I'm saying about the CRT is like, oh, we're not racist anymore. Like we had a black president once. (laughs) And so therefore, obviously racism is over. Instead of interrogating why it took so long to get to the black president, why immediately after him, the whole country went downhill right as as quickly as possible and everything is worse now yeah (laughs) like let's talk about that Mm. but they would rather just say we've moved on we know the moral Mm. center and Mm. and we're done
0: and i do think the federation's position is in many ways reasonable. Like you have the TNG episode, The Masterpiece Society, where they meet a colony of genetically perfect humans who straight up say to Geordie we would not have allowed you to be born. Mm-hmm. And it's possible that Illyrians have this incredibly ableist society. But I actually think because there is so much artificial genetic diversity among Illyrians, that means there is a space for the disabled and the neurodivergent because they don't seem to think of themselves as fixing the broken but improving what's already there and adapting Mm -hmm. to their surroundings. I would love to dig more into Illyrian society and, you know, the cultural rituals that Una says that they could no longer practice. That it felt like among the many, many, many things that it felt like an allegory for was... Jewish people hiding from persecution, particularly those in Spain who outwardly became Catholic Mm -hmm. and struggled to maintain a core of their Jewish identity in private.
1: Yeah, it was an allegory for whatever your thing is. (laughs) It could be an allegory for that. (laughs) Yeah. Clearly, it's an allegory for the immigration and asylum Mm. questions. Yes. Clearly, it is, as you say, for... Uh, any population but in specifically the Jewish population hiding. Mm. I had a a lovely conversation with my friend Jonathan who is non-binary and we both discussed specifically Una's story as being a transgender allegory Yes, because she wanted everyone to see her as she really was Mm. instead of as who they thought she was
0: right right based
1: on looking at her and knowing her for x amount of years
0: it's definitely a story about passing in all of its various forms and i think the problem is that we have this allegory for really important marginalized identities that's being told through a beautiful white cis able-bodied woman no shade Mm -hmm. to rebecca romaine no shade to una i just think that if Nera had not been played by a black woman, this would have been much uglier than... If
1: it was Pike.
0: Yeah! Yikes. Oh god.
1: If, if Pike was out there speechifying about slavery, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: I feel like five, ten years ago it totally would have been.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Certainly my favourite Captain Battelle moment from all of her appearances so far is when she tells Pike that no one needs him to talk. Yeah, and manipulated
1: him into absolutely falling for her traps
0: yeah and
1: and proving that he would be a liability yeah to una and to her defense and he should shut up (laughs) and move on
0: your honor i love her
1: also when bad vulcan saw the opportunity to make actually let's make this all about pike Mm. and then everyone else was like no no. No. <laughs> no, we're we're not gonna do that. This is not about Captain Pike and, and we don't care about your weird vendetta against him. Mm. Mm. But we're here to talk about Luna and how great she is. Yes. So So sit down, Bad Vulcan.
0: They really walked the tightrope and falling off would have meant making this episode about Pike. Bad Vulcan really intrigues me because I feel like why do Vulcans have a stigma? against the genetically altered do they have their own eugenics wars i think they absolutely do
1: <laughs> i think it's related to romulans
0: yeah 100 uh, uh, percent <laughs> even if they don't know it but also we know we have this gorn war looming why is bad vulcan so eager to get not just una but pike off the table
1: maybe bad vulcan is a secret romulan a secret oh secret. <laughs> He's a secret, secret Romulan working with the Gorn. Yes. So he he wants to get Pike out of there.
0: (laughs) I should say, for context, in the episode that we recorded yesterday that I failed to record Annika, we had this great conversation of how we weren't all that excited about a Gorn war. But what if they never actually interact with the Gorn as people? It's just like all signals and submarine fighting in space. And also, what if the Gorn are being manipulated by the Romulans?
1: Which I think is great. <laughs> I think that should happen.
0: This is a pro-Romulan podcast.
1: <laughs> a plus theory.
0: It would kind of be the Romulan war that Enterprise never got to showing. I don't know, maybe it's wishful thinking. There were some really big shoulder pads in this episode. Maybe that's why I keep thinking of Romulans.
1: I I don't actually think Bad Vulcan is a Romulan, but...
0: Oh, I do.
1: Because the Vulcans are bad. Like, Mm. Vulcans are bad at this. Vulcans are super judgy. They definitely want to tell everybody what to do at all times. Mm. (laughs) That's their main motivation. Not individual Vulcans, but Vulcan society. And this guy represented that Mm. side of Vulcan society. And also, you know, he was clearly put into the place of I'm gonna be the asshole who is only talking about the way the law is and I don't Mm. care about all this emotional claptrap about Mm. how great she is or what amazing things she does she broke the law so she has to be punished like Mm. that that's the hard line that Battelle was not towing no and so bad Vulcan had to step in and be the bad guy but I also think that there's something going on with him because it was over the top.
0: He just has a neon flashing sign over his head that says, Agenda.
1: (laughs) And so, Secret Secret Romulan working with the corn. (laughs) We'll see what- we'll see what-
0: Yeah, yeah. Who knows? (laughs) It's definitely strange to be really excited to see what Strange New Worlds does next.
1: I guess he can't be a Secret Secret Romulan if he's a
0: man. I mean, he doesn't have to be Jart Vash to be a different type of secret, secret Romulan. Oh
1: no, secret, secret, secret
0: Romulans? I mean, he could also just be Tal Shiar.
1: I guess. That's just the regular secret Romulan.
0: Yeah, baseline <laughs> secret. The KGD. It's interesting that we're talking about this when aliens hiding among humans is shaping up as a theme for the season. We Wait. have... Pelia and her race of long lived people who have lived on Earth for centuries and only revealed themselves in the 22nd century. So, probably right around the time the Federation was formed, like a week after the Enterprise finale. And then we have Illyrians and groups of them who essentially go into hiding among humans.
1: Right. There is this suggestion that Una is maybe not the only
0: Hidden Illyrian
1: in Starfleet or the Federation, that there are more of her out mm. there, and that's sort of fun to
0: think about. It's particularly notable that this is not a paranoid narrative. This isn't like the changelings. This isn't like mm-hmm. the Scrolls in various Marvel comics. This is just... Okay, the
1: Scrolls can be good.
0: I know, I know. I think that making them refugees was a really clever move on the part of the Captain Marvel movie. But they are also treated as dangerous infiltrators in other comics. I wonder if we're going to get a plot line of these people being sought out and persecuted.
1: That would be so terrible. But it would be a reason for Nero to come back.
0: Yes. so And it would kind of explain... <laughs> why the Federation then cracks down so hard on the Changelings at the end of Picard. Mm. That we don't hear anything about them trying to make amends for the war crimes. It even explains why Section 31 was so willing to go to a genocidal place with the Changelings.
1: If they had been burned at a certain point.
0: Yeah, even not burned, but if there was this idea passed down over a couple of generations that we didn't go hard enough against those people. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's, once again, an allegory for stuff like the Lavender Scare and the McCarthy era.
1: It's interesting. It's a rich story to be told here.
0: I do wonder if there are too many allegories at play, but... Well, (laughs) that's Star Trek. Yes.
1: And science fiction, really.
0: Yes. Oh, it can mean anything that you want it to mean is great to a point but i do appreciate that they talk specifically about gender and sexual identity as identities that have in the past been persecuted by humans yeah i
1: think some of the most powerful parts are when nira is just laying out look at all these things yeah that we have done you know it wasn't that long ago yeah it certainly wasn't that long ago now in twenty twenty three, but even in twenty two twenty-three. I don't know what to say. I have no idea what year it is. Let's call it twenty-two twenty-three.
0: I think it's the twenty-two fifties, but anyway. <laughs>
1: sure, twenty-two fifty-three. It it still wasn't that long ago.
0: Mm. Yeah. You
1: know, the rest of the world likes to say that America is a young country, which is true. I'm not saying that that's not true, but it's only a few hundred years. It's like to go from now, twenty twenty three to this trial, it's only a couple hundred years. Mm. You can't forget all of these things that we did in the name of the law, and that's why Bad Vulcan is wrong.
0: Yes, uh, but this is also a time when trans persecution is ramping up, and there are growing numbers of places where it is illegal to be trans. Mm -hmm. And so this is a very timely story.
1: That's why... Jonathan and I were crying.
0: Yeah. And maybe I've come out too hard against allegory because making it allegory does mean that it will age well. We hope. I just think we need more out openly and proudly trans and queer people in Strange New Worlds.
1: In all media. Yeah. But yeah. you can't change overnight. And because mm. it's so dangerous out there for trans people Mm. and there is the persistent and ridiculous idea of the trans agenda or the gay agenda or any Mm. marginalized population agenda sort of sneaking in the back way at least gets it out there
0: yes i just think you know in the 60s It was genuinely radical to have a black woman on the bridge and there were affiliates in the South that wouldn't carry Star Trek because of it. And Discovery has actual trans and non-binary people. And Strange New Worlds is playing it safe.
1: I mean, guess which Star Trek is my son's favourite Star Trek?
0: Is it Discovery?
1: It's Discovery. (laughs) Want to know why? Is it because... It's a trans character. Yeah. Yeah. An explicitly trans character who he used the existence of that character to come out to various relatives. Mm. So representation matters.
0: Yeah, I love that Strange New Worlds is talking the talk. Now it needs to walk the walk.
1: Right. But at least it's talking the talk. At least it's getting there. It's Absolutely. a step up from... Discovery Season
0: 2,
1: and Strange New World Season
0: 1. And I know that there will absolutely be angry people on the internet complaining about the woke agenda.
1: Oh, the woke agenda is all over this episode, and good. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I have to say about it.
0: So on a lighter topic, let's talk about the relationships, because this is really an episode about Una's relationships with everyone
1: which is so good and I'm, I'm so happy
0: except ortegas
1: <laughs> she doesn't have a relationship with ortegas because ortegas is not a person <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> she's a figment of our collective imagination
0: i very much enjoyed the opening scene where she and oh, was the scene where she and mabenga are watching spock and awful vulcan have an argument Yes, but also she is super anti-vulcan racist
1: yeah, so. right, because that's her entire character. Yeah. And if, they, if they're doing it on purpose and it's going somewhere, mm-hmm. okay, I will wait and see. But I do not believe that is true. I think that they mm. do not realize <laughs> mm. that her entire personality is, I kind of don't like aliens.
0: Yeah. Mass Effect has a character who starts out super space racist and then learns better. And is still wildly unpopular with fans because she starts out that way. And I'm like, when are people going to notice that Ortegas is the same? Right. Mm.
1: It's like the Dr. Pulaski problem.
0: I would take Pulaski over Ortegas because Pulaski just, learns better.
1: It's taken until like literally the last two years for people to realize that Dr. Pulaski gets over mm. being bad about data on like episode two.
0: Yes, so I think no. another ten to fifteen years will go by, and then people will remember that Kai Winn had a redemption arc. Okay. Anyway, so start.
1: So. Let's talk. Let's talk about. Although before we get off of Bad Vulcan
0: mm. and
1: Ortega and Benga, that scene was great. Oh, that I loved was it. That scene was a nice little humor in the midst mm. of all of this melodrama, and I love that last week we met. Amanda's awesome friend, (laughs) Pellia, who who Spock instantly got along with. And this week, we meet Sarek's terrible friend, Bad Vulcan, whose name I refuse to even learn. (laughs) And Spock hates him. To the point where he has to apologize to his friends.
0: Truly, I would love to be the fly on the wall at one of Amanda and Sarek's dinner parties. (laughs) That was... Gold, mm-hmm. and that scene is also oh. why I think Admiral Vad Vulcan will be returning.
1: Important, yeah, right? yes,
0: yeah, yes. So we learn about Pike and Una, and that he will go to the edge of the galaxy and risk asphyxiation for her and threaten to die. Like, please don't die in the waiting room of a lawyer's office. It's just so inconvenient like, to me personally.
1: Can you imagine if they were like, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You did it to yourself, man. Right? And then they have to go to Starfleet and be like, well, this guy (laughs) is dead in our office. You want to come pick up his body?
0: Yeah, we'll put him on ice (laughs) for you.
1: I mean, at that point, April is like, okay, so Pike died on a ridiculous mission and (laughs) Una is in jail. And that's why Pike died. And Spock recently stole a (laughs) ship And went against all my orders. So who is the fourth in command of the Enterprise?
0: I think it's (laughs) La'an.
1: That's not going to go over well. Like, they're going to have to go down really, really far. Like, Lieutenant Jay is going to be in charge of the Enterprise. And then they're going to be like, hey, Mm, mm. I am just as bad as all these other people. Mm. This is the Enterprise.
0: But what a twist for Pride Month. I welcome a new non binary captain.
1: <laughs> exactly. Seems <he's> perfect. <laughs> oh, cool. But it's okay because Pike didn't kill himself in order to try to secure Una a lawyer. Alas. I mean, Pike, is that coming off as super bright or. Mm-hmm. I'm glad he went and. I'm glad he did it. Yes. I'm glad he got her lawyer friend to come. But. <laughs> it was not a good plan
0: no and like what if she hadn't come and you still need to find a really good civil rights lawyer come on guys yeah.
1: because time was running out at that yeah. point like, yeah una had to decide if she was going to take the plea deal and like there was a lot there was a lot going on there and then like we said he comes back and he immediately wants to mess up her defense he's like i got you this great defense lawyer and now i'm going to ruin your defense
0: <laughs> (laughs) it comes across as really disrespectful of nira like he's done all this work to get her on the case and then he's like "Mm, i'm a white man (laughs) i know better
1: he's like put me in man put me in (laughs) yeah so so yeah i don't hate pike i just i i find him troubling
0: I find him tiresome. And as
1: you say, unnecessary.
0: Yeah, though I do enjoy how there seems to be a running thing through this the whole franchise where Starship Captains are really into JAG offices. <laughs> we had Kirk and Ariel Shaw in Court Martial. true. Picard and Picard Philippa and Lavoie. Philippa. And now Pike and Batel. I do wonder if there are, like, men in the JAG office who aren't bad Admiral Falcon but, you know.
1: No. I mean, there's also bad duty officer lawyer, <laughs> defense lawyer.
0: Oh, yeah. Lieutenant Gormless.
1: Yeah. So Pike and Mattel, I was really worried because we knew that she was going to be a part of the trial. Mm. And because they're making out in the, in the trailer, I was like, if Pike is canoodling with Mattel mm. while mm. Una is on trial... I, I'm gonna have some words, so I really please that didn't happen. Good job, Pike.
0: Frankly, I don't think they should have been seeing each other socially, but that's just me.
1: I mean, it's definitely a conflict of interest mm. going on there, and like, she pretty much she she saved him. She yeah, she was on his side. She helped Una. <laughs> so like, so so really, I, but I liked that about Patel. Patel is sort sort of like I'm. I'm stuck with this, they gave it to me, I didn't mm, want it.
0: Mm.
1: Like, she's sort of the Riker, and yes. that I, I hate that I'm stuck doing this, but I have to do it because it's my job.
0: And also she does do a good job.
1: Yeah. And if she didn't do a good job, that would also reflect poorly on Una. So, yeah. Yeah. So we need her to do do a good job so that the win...
0: Is meaningful. Counts. Yeah. <clears throat> In Australia we have something called the Cabrank rule which means that barristers aren't allowed to refuse a client like if you're a criminal defense barrister you can't refuse to defend a child molester and it's obviously very difficult and is something that is constantly being revisited and argued but I do think it's important that Everyone, no matter how reprehensible, has a good defence. And in this case, I feel like Battelle couldn't turn down the job of prosecuting Una and had to do a good job. And honestly, I really admire that. I think it was hard and I respect that she put the work in without demonising Una, too. Mm -hmm. She was also very professional about it.
1: And she was so happy when the loophole was found.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Cause she was like, The law worked. Yes. She can be on Starkly Jag.
0: Mm, it's good. Mm.
1: We can we can build the whole series around these two. That's great. Let's yes. Do it.
0: I have not been interested in her as a character up till now, but she also hasn't done anything up till now except be Pike's love interest, which right. I think she should break up <laughs> with Pike and date Mira.
1: Yes! <laughs> Let's make that happen. Yes. So, uh, before we move off of Pike and Una, though, the hug at the end. Yes. Very sweet. Yes. Like, that was, like, I was like, oh, okay, you got me. Mm-hmm. I care. Mm-hmm. I care about you and your relationship. I used to be, like, I used to really ship them, and
0: mm, same. I don't
1: anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like She deserves better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like, again... Pike's fine, but maybe it's funny because he's like the third or fourth actor to play Pike (laughs) and so it's unlikely that we'll get another Pike and I will suddenly like him because we've already gone to that well, but maybe, Mm. you never
0: know. Look, I still carry a torch for Bruce Greenwood Pike. Yeah,
1: I like him better too, but mostly because of my whole Kirk obsession.
0: Yes, I understand. I really enjoyed learning more about Una and April and Una's professional past and the fact that she served with him on the Enterprise. Like, she must have started as a junior officer and been promoted and been promoted. And then
1: he said that, like, every year he promoted her. And yeah, I mean, we're very pro April podcast here. Yes. Love April. And so getting that relationship. And it, it's like, you know, he mentored Una and then Una mentored Lan and La'an can mentor, you know, Oriana into Starfleet. La'an it's
0: is like, already uh, mentoring Ahura.
1: Right? Yes. Oh, precious. It's yes. All, that's what Starfleet is for me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So. I love that. And I love learning that April was a captain who took a flexible and, for want of a better word, humane approach to the Prime Directive. I I think that's very in keeping with his place as the captain between Archer and Pike.
1: I love that. (laughs) Breaking the Prime Directive is just what captains of the Enterprise do. That's just what they do. That's just the thing. Oh, well. (laughs) And I love... Nira, for making a whole point about how the Prime Directive is a law that is oft broken, and mm. no one ever gets in trouble for it because they have a good reason.
0: Yes, except when they need to get in trouble for it for plot reasons, basically.
1: Which you know, I mean, that's sort of how we we as humans we mm. interpret the law. There are mm. laws, and it's our job to figure them out. Particularly if you're a lawyer or a judge. Yes. And that's also the only way that they can change. Yeah,
0: yeah. Is if
1: someone stands up and says, actually, this law is bad. And so I'm Mm. going to fight it in court and then you can fight it and, you know, or you can bring it up in Congress or Mm. whatever legislative branch you have. You know, the only way that you reverse all those bad laws that Nero was talking about Mm. is by pointing out that they're bad and working through the system and
0: and making it happen. Yes. So. And. That was something I was thinking about with the cross-examination of April and the activist who doesn't know when to stop Mm. is that for this kind of social change, you need your radicals who are pushing and maybe going too far and maybe they are being unreasonable, but they are pulling and pulling and pulling so society moves towards their goal. And then behind them, you have the moderates going, oh no this is not complete insanity this is a perfectly reasonable way to go Mm -hmm. and you really need both to Mm affect change
1: right yes and the whole thing with the prime directive which i don't love the prime directive (laughs) it's a bad thing but it's always broken but they never change it
0: yeah like that's
1: one law that people stand up to it all the time Mm -hmm. and they say yeah okay in this instance good Mm. but we're still going to keep our rule.
0: I think that's because it is important to have a guiding principle of yeah. non-interference. And the question is, where do you draw that line?
1: No, I, I think that that's a good, and I think that that's sort of what April was trying to say. Like, like yeah. He was saying, like, I break that law when I need to, but I still believe in that law. And that's important. in In a society, you have to mm. have some guidelines.
0: Yeah. It doesn't reflect well on him that he wouldn't have sponsored Una if he had known that she was Illyrian but I actually kind of appreciate that as a side to his character as a flaw that he needs to work on. It's much like in season one of Discovery when Cornwell is horrified that Stamets has injected himself with tardigrade DNA. Mm -hmm. That This is a really profound fear. And even if you want to overcome your phobia, it's not going to happen overnight. And in that sense, the allegory falls down because I don't have much sympathy for people who need more time to overcome their xenophobia or their homophobia or their transphobia. Whereas I do kind of empathize with the fear of genetic alteration.
1: But what is gender-affirming care if not genetic manipulation?
0: I... I, does it go down to a... no, you're right, you're right, because that's changing externals in the same way that if you changed your genes, yeah. And obviously I'm not against it. (laughs) No, no, no. I... like, for me, I think of genetic manipulation in terms of erasing disability. And hadn't thought about it in other terms
1: that's what but i think that, that is my mm, point from mm, you know, a half an hour ago is yeah. that we have to think about it we have to think about what these things actually mean and yeah so genetic communication is not
0: automatically eugenics no you're right you're right is
1: what i believe And, you know, it's always dangerous and scary and horrible to be like, well, we can use it for good (laughs) because our worst instincts are always going to Mm. happen. But I do think that there is nuance Mm. to these questions and that the idea that genetic manipulation is automatically scary and evil and bad. Mm. We take medications to alter our brain chemistry. There are different things that we do to our bodies Mm. so that we are more comfortable and more happy and healthy.
0: And Mm.
1: is our antidepressants Mm. getting rid of a disability?
0: I would say managing it. But right. the, other thing, the other thing is that all of our examples of genetically manipulated characters are people who had this done to them in childhood or before their birth. La'an and Una, Julian, mm-hmm. Bashir, Dahl. We don't have any adult characters going out and say, actually, I'm just going to permanently change my genes. And maybe that's something we need
1: mm-hmm.
0: n- narratively to build on this. But I got you. well let me talk about La'an because her interactions with Nira were fascinating and I know a lot of people thought that she had turned Una in last season Mm -hmm. and so her guilt around the fear that that was what happened was really compelling and the fact that she is sort of bought into the biological determinism of the fear of Augment's which I think was an issue as far back as the Sung episodes of Enterprise, where everyone, including him, is like, oh, these people are intrinsically violent. And it's like, mm-hmm. are they or are you just raising them that way? Don't let Soongs raise children. <laughs> that is, <that>, yes, <laughs> T-shirt. And La'an, having experienced violence and trauma in her childhood, must have trouble separating that from anything in her biology. Well,
1: I'm mm. having a phobia of augments and genetic manipulation mm. makes perfect sense to me. Yes. Like more sense than April. And because I don't have that phobia, I guess, mm. it's weird to me that all humans do. Mm. And obviously I haven't been through the eugenics war <laughs> because it didn't actually happen, but it's just one of those weird things.
0: I wonder if it's something very primal, because you're not going to look at a person and go, hmm, their genes are not what I expect them to be. <laughs> like, that's as as absurd as looking at someone and going, I wonder what genitals they have. But, <laughs> you know, there's this theory that a lot of our horror stories and mythology about people who look human but aren't human are from our interactions with Neanderthals and other proto-humans that coexisted alongside us thousands of years ago and so maybe that is part of the fear of genetically augmented people who look human they look like us but they're not quite us
1: if i as i've said many many times love monsters yes so am i just i don't have that (laughs) <laughs> that, Maybe. that my primal whatever is missing <laughs> that's missing in my genetic makeup because i don't have this fear and i also don't have a fear of monsters i love the gorn babies
0: <laughs> i want to raise them to be good i definitely don't think that it's as universal as proponents of that theory make out but for example some indigenous australian tribes have stories of very, very tall, slender, human shaped beings who live in rock caves and steal children. Maybe my fear is just from being exposed to that, that <laughs> belief from childhood because it is dark. <laughs> so,
1: okay. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting and, and mm. I guess again, I love nuance and so that's why I love monsters. Yeah. So
0: I also don't think we need to have a reason for people to have a bigotry
1: no not at all and i'm not saying that i have no no. phobias and i'm not i'm never like yeah no that's not what i'm saying either obviously i am flawed just put that out there Mm. but it's it's just interesting it's just interesting that i can see other sides
0: yeah yeah which is why i love talking to you because you take my assumptions and turn them inside out.
1: <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> so, where are we at? So, Una and Mbenga. So, what I, I still I ship liked, it. I still ship it, hardcore. It was interesting that he got to be one of the three mm. who... So, it was La'an and Spock who both... Of them, she is a mentor for. La'an since childhood, and Spock since he started on the Enterprise. Mm. And we discussed that they are very similar, while also being obviously different. And then there's Mbenga. And, mm. you know, I absolutely ship it. But also, they don't actually have, like, a established, amazing relationship mm. that they didn't get. As you said, that Una was sidelined in Season 1. Mbenga was stuck with Rukia, that sounds terrible, was was trapped in the Rukia storyline.
0: Yeah, he didn't get out of it much.
1: And so we haven't seen this. And unlike in the last episode where we got a lot of context Mm -hmm. for the chapel and Mbenga relationship, here it's all sort of like well, here's another one of her great friends, <laughs> Doctor Benga and they definitely like had great chemistry last season, so mm. just like work with that.
0: <laughs> we saw them sort of becoming friends at the end of Ghosts of Illyria. Ghosts of Alleria. Where she discover where <clears> they <throat> discover each other's secret. Which is why I ship it. Yes. <laughs> but I like the impression that they have continued to build on that. Yeah. And also they should date.
1: Again, I don't need to see everything or be told Mm -hmm. everything. I can absolutely fill in those blanks. But it's just because we did get to see it with La'an and with Spock. Mm. And because the Pike relationship is, even if not entirely seen, we do see some of that. Yeah, We have seen them interact, certainly. It can be assumed because Mm. there are like tropes that exist between that relationship. And, you know, it... You know, if they'd chosen Ortegas, (laughs) that wouldn't have worked because they don't have a relationship, you know. So they chose the right person and Mm. they do have a relationship. It was just, it was clear in the way that the other two got to talk more and he didn't talk as much. Yeah. Because he he didn't have as much to say.
0: Mm.
1: He was sort of standing in as the adult (laughs) relationship that she was capable of having.
0: Yeah, he is very much the adult in the room.
1: Like, and here's her peer. There's one of him. (laughs) (laughs) Orcs.
0: (laughs) And finally we have Una and Nira who have this incredibly complicated former friendship being rebuilt along the way. I ship it.
1: I was going to say, and I also ship that. Yes. But I'm also good with them being childhood friends who like come back together and mm. and can have that friendship and it's like, oh. but great episode for building Una's backstory.
0: Yes, which is devastating. I actually feel like in terms of a Federation utopia gone wrong, Una's is almost on par with Tasha Yar's.
1: Yeah, it's rough.
0: Yeah, like yeah.
1: So the Federation comes in and is like, okay, we're going to save you, but you have to follow our rules and mm. we don't care about your culture.
0: Yeah. You have to assimilate. And,
1: <laughs> you have to assimilate and that's just the way it is. Yeah. And that is rough mm. for the That is rough for the Federation. And it's like an X-Men yeah.
0: kind of story. Yeah.
1: And there are the mutants who cannot pass, mm. who mm. cannot assimilate because they can't change Yeah, to... You know, you've got Toad, you've got the ugly mutants, quote unquote. Yeah. And then there's all the pretty ones. You know, Jean Grey mm. is fine. <laughs> no one knows there's anything wrong with her. She can go give a speech in front
0: of Congress. And yeah. no Jean one cares. Grey is the Una Chin Riley mm. of the X. Right.
1: And Rebecca mm. Romaine played Mystique.
0: Oh, like, I knew that was a connection I was trying to make. <laughs> yes. Who is literally
1: capable of turning into someone else. Mm. So she's playing Mystique again, yay. And in the first X-Men film, she has this amazing line, they've kidnapped the the Senator. And when she reveals herself to him and reveals that she is a mutant and she tells him, you're the reason I was afraid to go to school as a child. Yeah. And that resonated Mm. with me then. And I kept thinking about it while watching Mm. this episode because the little girl mystique is still inside Una as well. That she was like, I had to become someone else. I had to hide everything Mm. I am in order to be seen as worthy of going to school.
0: Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense that... You have two girls who are faced with this choice and Una and her family assimilate and Neera becomes a fighter for her people and for her identity. Right. And that feels like a really realistic cause for a rift between them. Yes. But also I don't think it can't be overcome for their friendship. And
1: Una is now wanting to be seen as who mm. she is and also mm. wanting to stand up for the others.
0: Yeah, and she starts out reluctant to be the test case, even. I think it's very realistic that she turned herself in, she volunteered for this, Mm -hmm. but also she's reluctant to be the face of it. Right. Because a lifetime of hiding is a hard habit to break. Yeah.
1: Again, you think of that little girl and you understand why she made all the choices she made
0: Mm. and
1: also why those choices harmed her.
0: Yes, yes
1: and eventually caught up with her.
0: Yeah, yeah. On a lighter note, where is Katrina Cornwell right now? Oh my goodness.
1: (laughs) Katrina Cornwell is investigating how to get bad Vulcan
0: demoted. (laughs) Nice, very nice. (laughs) I think Katrina Cornwell was rescued from the explosion by the Klingons, but then instead of keeping her, Ash persuaded them to turn her over to the Illyrians to be repaired and brought back. And so now she's chilling on Nebula Planet going, I kind of feel like maybe I should tell Starfleet that I'm okay.
1: But also, it's <laughs> nice here.
0: Yeah. Also, it's nice <laughs> here. And also, I'm kind of not really human anymore. Oops. Also, these Illyrian fashions are amazing.
1: (laughs) Shopping spree.
0: (laughs) Look, kudos to the costume designers. They did a great job this week.
1: Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and transcripts of our episodes when we get a chance. Aww. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and Instagram all at Antimatterpod and on Mastodon at antimatterpod on the Ten Ford instance. You can write to us at mail at antimatterpod.com. If you like us, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And tell your friends! And join us next week when we will be discussing the next episode of Strange New Worlds Season 3, Tomorrow, and Tomorrow, and Tomorrow.